Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. If you have your Bibles or your devices, uh, we're going to be in the book of 2 Kings this morning. If, if you don't know where 2 Kings is, it's right after 1 Kings. And no, it's, it's in the Old Testament. And um, I wrote this message about three weeks ago and uh, preached it to our people in Opelousas about two weeks ago. By the way, if you're ever in Opelousas or you want to make the drive about 40 miles north, uh, stop by and see me. And so uh, we'd love to have you. If you're ever in that direction or just passing through, uh, but I preached this message, Eric, two weeks ago, and Pastor Don listened to it, and we were together this week. And um, he said, hey, man, would you, would you preach that message to our people in Opelousa, or New Iberia? I said, absolutely, 100%. So uh, how many know the second time's always a little better? And the meat, when the meat marinates a little longer, it tastes a little better. And so you're going to get the improved 2.0 version. So uh, do me a favor today. Since, since we're honest with each other and we're family, uh, talk to me today. Okay, can you do, put your participants on. And, uh, and, and, and if it's something's for you, say amen. Don't say it for me, say it for you. A- amen means you agree with it. And it settles well with your soul. And so uh, can we just have church? Can we do that? Uh, I may get a little undignified. I may sweat a little bit. I sweat a lot. I spit when I talk. So sorry, front row. They knew, look, they roped it off. Nobody's sitting here. This is my, right here. Uh, do me a favor. Would you stand with me for the reading of God's word? How do you know if a dignitary would walk through these, these doors right here? We would stand in honor of the office. And so you're not standing for me today. We're standing for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords as we read his love letter to us. Second Kings chapter four, verses eight through 10. It says this. Now it happened one day that Elisha went to Shunem. Everybody say Shunem. Where there was a notable woman and she persuaded him to eat some food. That sounds a whole lot like a woman from South Louisiana that you can't stop in without eating some of her good cooking. And it says, so it was as often as he passed by, he would turn in there to eat some food. So her food must have been good. She, he keeps coming back. One day she says to her husband, look now, I know that this is a holy man of God who passes by us regularly. Please Let us make a small upper room on the wall and let us put a bed for him in there and a table and a chair and a lampstand. So it will be whenever he comes to us, he can turn in there. Go back to verse eight one more time. It says, so it was as often as he passed by. I want to preach a message to you this morning simply entitled, don't pass us by. Don't pass us by. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you today for the reading of your word. God, it's your word that changes us. Not my thoughts, not my ideas, but God, it's your word. And God, this is our prayer today. God, don't pass us by. God, don't pass by New Iberia. Don't pass by our Savior's church. God, don't pass by our homes and our marriages. God, God, we know that you inhabit the praises of your people. And God, that's what we ask for today. God, not a visitation of your spirit. God, we want a habitation. Come and meet us kick off your shoes and stay a while with us. That's what we need. We need time with you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen and amen. You may be seated this morning. Don't pass us by. Don't pass us by. Second Kings chapter four, 
tells us really of, of three people. The, the first is, is a couple. It says that they're notable. Uh, the King James Version, which I grew up on, says they're well-to-do. It's a well-to-do woman. They have some notoriety. They have some means. They, they have a little money to spend. And it says, though, that, that this well-to-do couple, this well-to-do woman, they lived in a small village town called Shunem. Everybody say Shunem one more time. Shunem is a very small village. Uh, Shunem is a farming town. Uh, it was located near the Jezreel Valley in the northern kingdom of Israel. Uh, Shunem is on absolutely no one's destination stop. Uh, no one's writing postcards from Shunem. Uh, no one is going to Shunem for their anniversary. Uh, Shunem is not a destination place. It's kind of like a pass-through. How many of you ever been on like long trips that you drive 8, 10, 12 hours to get to a destination that you've mapped out beforehand like a stopping point? I anybody? Uh, my, my family, my wife's family's from Birmingham, Alabama, which takes us about seven hours from our house to get to. So we always have a stopping point. We stop at the exact same Chick-fil-A in Hattiesburg, Mississippi every single time. It's just what we do. We don't even ask the kids. The kids don't even, like we just, our car just takes us there. It's, it's, it's a halfway point. It's a stopping place. It's, it's a place where you, you, you pull in, you fuel up, you get some gas, you get some food. You know, you, you, you get one of those big old ice cream cones from, from Chick-fil-A. Come on now, I'm preaching good. I mean, it's just something. So we intentionally don't even travel on Sundays because we know Chick-fil-A ain't open. So we go, we gonna leave on a Saturday or a Monday. It's just what we, it's just what we do. And so that's what Shunem is. No, nobody is vacationing in Shunem. It's, it's not Breckenridge, okay? It's not New York City. It's this small farming town. It's a farming community. We see that I, uh, Elisha, is going to Shunem, but he's just passing through. So I want you to get this picture that if, if Elisha, the traveling prophet, was going from Jericho or if he was going uh, from Judah or Bethel up to Naphtali, uh, the halfway point would be Shunem. It's where he would stop. He finds this woman who feels sorry for him because she, apparently she sees him walking through and he doesn't have any money for food. He's a, he's a non-profit prophet. So she, you'll get that later. So she'll... She, she starts cooking for him, and, and he likes her cooking, so she, he starts coming back. But I want you to see this. Verse 8, verse 9, verse 10 says of this man, Elisha, that he would pass through Shunem. Everybody say pass through. These verses indicate how often he did it. There's this woman, there's her husband, and there's the prophet Elisha. Everybody say Elisha. Elisha is a type of Christ. Elisha represents the presence of God. Elisha represents the spirit of God. You're going to see later that Elisha actually represents the power of God. So you have Elisha, and he's representation of the spirit, and he's passing by. I want you to see that this posture of passing by that Elisha does is congruent with the attitude of Jesus throughout the Gospels. When I think of Jesus, I think of this Jesus who was fair, uh, who everybody gets the same touch, who everybody gets the same blessing. But how many know that's not how Jesus operated? The Bible talks about Jesus, that he would step over some to get to another. 
that he would pass by some villages just to get to another town. There were some people that needed a touch from him and he would pass by them on his way to someone else's house. And if you just had something in you along the way where you went after him, maybe you can get a little bit of Jesus. We see it with the woman of the issue of blood, don't we? Jesus is on his way to, to uh, Jairus's house and it's the woman with the issue of blood who says, he cannot pass me by. And she actually runs and grabs the hem of his garment. We see it 18 times in the New Testament that the Bible actually says Jesus was passing by. Notice for blind Bartimaeus, this is Luke chapter 18, verse 37. I just want to read you a couple of them. It says they told him because he was blind, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. In Luke 19, 1, it says Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. So he's passing through Jericho. In Mark chapter 6, verse 48, there's a storm. The winds are raging. And the Bible says the disciples are in the boat and they're toiling and they're rowing. And the wind was contrary going to and fro. And it says, Jesus came walking on the sea. Look at it. It says, he saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Shortly before dawn, he went out to them walking on the lake. He was about to pass them by. So think about this imagery of Jesus that we constantly see him passing by. In Luke 18, he's passing by. In Luke 19, he's passing through. Mark chapter 6, it says he was about to pass them up. And in 2 Kings, speaking of Elisha, it says he passed by on a regular basis. I'm telling this to you because I want you to understand that there is a pattern here that suggests some people have conditioned themselves and be comfortable, become comfortable with only seeing the Spirit of God in passing form. That there's some of us that we have become very, very, very comfortable and satisfied with only experiencing God in a pass-through movement. Like we're here on a Sunday and for an hour and 15 minutes, we treat Jesus like he's in the Mardi Gras parade and there he comes, there he comes, there he comes, there he goes and he's gone till next week. And there's a large portion of the church that we become very comfortable with experiencing the spirit of God in passing form. We only get a sneak peek. We only get a glimpse of his glory. And the reality is we have become satisfied in doing so. I don't know about you, but in 2021, I just don't want a glimpse of his present. I just don't want a sneak peek of his glory. I'm tired of just settling for drive-by church. We don't need a visitation of the Holy Spirit. We need him to come and inhabit his people. That's what I think God wants to do. God wants to inhabit his people. God wants to stay. But how do we get him to stay? How, how do we, what, what is the mind shift? What is the attitude shift from going from passing by to, to staying? How do we get him to take up residence? And, and this is a hard concept to wrestle with because if you read scripture, the Bible says this of Jesus and of God's presence, that God, God is omnipresent, which means that God is everywhere at once. But just because he's everywhere at once doesn't mean that somebody gets the same amount as somebody else. How many of you ever been in a service like this and there's one person over here that during worship they're all stoic with their arms crossed and you can just see that their heart is hard and their soul is lost and some, somebody sitting right next to him in the same presence of the spirit who's weeping and God is all over them. How is that the case in the same room? Is God not there altogether? How can one person get it and one person don't? This is hard for our minds to wrap around because if you understand what the Spirit of God does, the Spirit of God is not stagnant. It's, it's not steel. It, it's not a pond or a swamp. Anytime the Bible talks about the Spirit of God, it compares it to a river. 
flowing as it goes. Uh, it compares it to the wind in John 3, 3. It says, even as the wind blows, so does the spirit of the Lord. If you go back to the very first book of the Bible, Genesis, the second verse of the Bible, when talking about the spirit of the Lord, it says, and the spirit of God looked at it, moved upon the face of the waters. Second Chronicles talks about God. This is an anthropomorphic view. It's putting human characteristics to God. For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro, searching the earth. He's looking for a heart that will make room for him. So the spirit of God is always moving. It's always flowing. He's looking and he's searching for some hearts and for some people who have prepared him room. He's looking for a group of people who've created an atmosphere for him to stay. In our text, the Shunammite woman gets tired of the spirit of God, or in this case, the prophet, just passing through. She says to her husband, I'm sick and tired of him just passing through. What can we do? How can we make this environment hospitable for him to stay? That's the question I want to ask us today. What can we do? Look at what it says in 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 10. Look at, look at the desperation of this woman. She, she starts off with this word, please. I, I think it's like any good woman who, she's probably asked her husband a hundred times, can we build this man a room? Come on, how, how many wives, wives help me out? You've given your husband a honeydew list. A hundred, would you please help? Would you do this? Can you fix? Yeah, yeah, I'll get to it. And when she, please, would you just fix the sink? She gets this desk, please let us make an upper room on the wall. She says, let's make some room. Let's, let's add on. Let's, let's do a little add on upstairs and let's, let's get on Wayfair. Let's get some furniture. Let's get the, the, the Joanna and chip version of the, we need the, the farm table. She says, let's put some stuff in there. And look what it says. Let us put a, a bed, a table, a chair, and a lampstand. So, so they build the room. They, 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 they get the contractor. They, they, they go to the Home Depot. They, they go to Doug Ashley. They get all the building materials. They build the room. And look what it says the very next verse after the, 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 the room is complete. Verse 11 and says, and so it happened one day that he came there and he turned into the upper room and he lay down there. Watch this. Before verse 11, all he does is pass by. Before verse 11, all they do is get a glimpse. Before verse 11, he never spends the night. Before verse 11, he never stays there. But something happens when this well-to-do woman makes room. There is something that's going to happen in your life this year when you start making room for the Holy Spirit to move. When you make room for God, something happens. All of a sudden, Shunem becomes a destination stop for the Spirit of God. Oh, you didn't hear me. All of a sudden, New Iberia becomes a destination stop for the Spirit of God. He's, I can't pass them by anymore. I can't go to the next town. There's something about these people that have made room for me. When we make room, that's why I love the fact that we just spent 21 days fasting. You know what happens when you fast? You make room. You know what happens when you pray? You make room. You know what happens when you get real in worship? You make room room. She makes room and all of a sudden he starts living there. He lives there. And, 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 and I wish that we can grasp this because listen to me, we can't make God stay. We can't make him stop. 
It's not like we can, you know, I know there's so many people, like, I'm just going to call God down and we're going to, God, listen, God's not a genie in a bottle. We, we cannot make God stop here. We can't say, hey, God, we fasted and prayed, show up. I, I wish it was that easy. It doesn't work that way. Listen to me. We can't make God's presence stop here, but we can make room for him to stay when he does. We can make some room for him to stay. And that's what I think we want for our church. That's what we want for your family. That's what we want for your children, that God would take up residence in your home, that God would take up residence in New Iberia, that God would take up residence in this community. And, and it says he stayed. He stayed. If, if you read 2 Kings chapter 4, he stays. He, Elisha is still there in 2 Kings chapter 8. That's 10 years later. He's still there. This woman's house becomes known as the place where the prophet stayed. What are we going to be known for? What is our Savior's church going to be known for? Listen, I know we got great communicators, great speakers. I love our worship man. Isaac and the team did an amazing job today. We, we, just got, we were in Abbeville High School yesterday. You saw the pictures. But if all we're known for is good preaching and good music, and a church that helps us community, but God doesn't stay here, we missed it. We need to be known for the church where God's presence is. Not where it was, not Ichabod, but where God's presence is. That it doesn't matter how you come in. You can come in broke, busted, and disgusted, but when God's presence hits you, everything changes. Where God's presence is, there's love. I'm just thinking to myself, you know, this prophet's there for 10 years. But do you know that it started with a single decision? It started with a moment of desperation where this woman said, please let us make the room. Now, you got to think about this. this. This woman and her husband, they're well-to-do. They have the space, you know, to do the add-on. They have the money. They have the resources. They have the skills. They have the time. I'm just thinking to myself, what was in their mind for that space before the prophet? What could have it been? I'm thinking maybe the dude wanted to build a game room, a man cave, to watch the Saints next year because they lost two weeks ago for the fourth year in a row. I'm not mad. I'm not bitter. I'm going to get better. <laughs> Who that? Come on, somebody. Maybe, maybe, maybe uh, this woman was in a scrapbook, and I don't know. Maybe she could have built the room. I have, no, I have no idea what they could have built, but they didn't do it. They turn what they could have built for themselves into something for God. I wonder what you and I are planning to build this year that Jesus is saying, I wish you would use that for me instead. Maybe it's with your money. Maybe it's with our time. Maybe it's with your relationship. Maybe it's with your resources. I have no idea. But what man cave do you have all mapped out in your mind that God says, I wish you would do something for me instead? What space can we give him? See, it's all about making room. It's making room. Room. By the way, listen to this. If you read uh, verse 11 through 17, it says because this woman made room, uh, Elisha stays up at night talking to his servant Jehazi, scheming how he can bless the woman and the husband. And he starts doing a little research, and he realizes that this woman is barren, that she can't have a son. She can't have a child. Her greatest desire was to have a child. So this, man, so this prophet goes to the woman 
and says, because of your obedience, I'm going to pray for you. And he prophesied over the woman who was barren to have a son. And she says, there ain't no way it's going to happen. One year later, she has it. Why do I say that? Because the second you start making room, God will speak to the barren areas of your life. There's things that have died in you that God wants to resurrect, but it starts with making room. Now, how many know you, you, you can't just build a room? you got to put the right stuff in it. you, you got to accessorize it. You, come on, help me out. We, we have to put the right furniture in it. Let's go back to 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 10. And let me just unpack this in our closing moments. I'm going to give you four thoughts, four pieces of furniture that every one of us need in our life this year. Hopefully, it'll make sense. I'll tell you the metaphorical spiritual meaning of all four of these pieces. It says this, please let us make a small upper room and on the wall, read these with me. Let's put a, a bed, a table, a chair, and a lampstand. One more time. Bed, table, chair, lamp. One more time. Repetition is a good teacher. Bed, table, chair, lampstand. I want to talk about how we accessorize our room. So y'all can call me Joanna Gaines. Come and spend about the next 15 minutes with your interior decorating. Here we go. The first piece of furniture that your room needs in 2021 is a chair. Everybody say a chair. How many of you know that no room is complete without a seat, including a restroom? <laughs> no room is complete unless you have a place to sit. I'm going to get this top off this water. There we go. As much as you might like hearing me preach, if we didn't have a place for you to sit, you probably ain't going to stand up for 45 minutes and hear a brother preach. You need a seat. Now, when I read the Bible... Uh, I, I, I am very visual when I read. I'm visual when I, when I read things, when I hear things. I picture stuff. That's how I operate. So I am not an instruction person, Pastor Don. I'm a sticky note dude. I mean, I, show me the picture. I'll figure it out. Hey, come on, show me the picture. Anybody show me the picture? Okay, thank you. Uh, so I'm picturing what does this chair look like? If she put a chair, like what is it? What kind of fabric did it have? What the upholstery, the, 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 was it tweed? Was it, I don't know. Was it leather? I have no, was it wooden? I, I'm asking myself all these questions. You know, was it, was it a small seat? Was it a love seat? Was it a couch? Was it a papasan chair? Was it oversized? Was it a beanbag chair? My son would say, what, what was it? Was it a church pew? I'm, 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 I'm racking my brain. And then I actually go and I read the Hebrew. In the Hebrew, the word chair in Hebrew is the word kise. Everybody say kise. Watch this. Kise means seat, stool, or throne. It literally means a covered throne. A chair represents a throne or a place of authority. Who's sitting in the first chair of your life in 2021? Who's sitting in the place of authority as we exit one year into another? Let, let me say it to you this way. I grew up right down the road here. Y'all grew up in Broussard, all right? We, we, we had this, uh, a living room, and we had a, a, a love seat over here. We had a big couch over here. And then right over here by the fireplace was this old leather 
beat up, worn out, lazy boy. I'm talking about the kind that just knew the shape of your cheeks. When you sat in it, you didn't even have to, I mean, it just went back on, you know what I'm talking about? Now, there was only one, the most comfortable seat in the house. Only one problem with that seat. It was for my daddy. Now, how many of you know your daddy had a chair? And you can sit in that chair as long as you wanted, but the second he walked in the room, like, he didn't have to say a word. He just kind of gave you the stank eye. You know what I'm talking about? And it's like, it didn't matter. It didn't matter if you were in the middle of a movie. It didn't matter if you were sleeping and you were taking a nap. It didn't matter. You got up because you didn't have the right to sit in the place of authority because it was your daddy's home. So it's his chair. The chair signified a seat of authority. Only the one who was in charge could sit in the seat. Now, I'm going to go ahead and tell you in my house, I don't have a seat in the living room, but I got a spot at the table. You don't sit at the head of my table. You can sit. We have nine other seats around. Our, we have a big old farm table. Nine other seats you can choose. If you sit in my seat, you're getting kicked out of my house. Why? Because that's my seat. It signifies who's in charge. The Shunammite woman gave Elisha a chair demonstrating her dependency was on God, and she gave him a seat of authority. Scripture tells us that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father on the throne of God. The chair is always a place of authority. My question to you, brother and sister, is this. Who has the seat of authority in your life? Who's sitting at the head chair at your table? I'll put it in some Christianese. Who's the Lord of your life? I'll say it again. Who is the Lord of your life? We get this wrong in church sometimes, and I want to correct it. The real issue in church is this. Everyone wants to be saved. Few are willing to give up the seat. We have created a culture where we preach salvation, but we don't preach up surrender. We preach get saved, make Jesus your savior, but we don't always preach, make Jesus your Lord. Watch this. Watch the order. Romans chapter 10, verse 9. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be. Notice this. Lordship comes before salvation, not the other way around. Are you with me? My fear is the American church is that we've made Jesus Savior but never really settled on lordship. We want him in the house. Save me. Just don't sit in my chair, Jesus. That's my chair. Don't mess up my life. Don't mess up the way I live. Don't mess up the way I treat my kids or my wife. Don't mess up my weekends. I like shacking up on the weekends. I like getting drunk. Yes, I'm saved from hell, but Jesus, don't mess with me. Watch this. So we have a bunch of church people who believe they are going to heaven because they made him savior but they're living like hell because they never made them Lord. They never gave up their seat. Are you with me? Well, isn't salvation and lordship the same thing? No, no, no. Listen to me. Salvation is what I receive. It's, salvation is a gift. You read the book of Romans. Salvation is a gift. There's nothing I can do to earn it. It is given to me. Salvation is what I get, what I receive. Lordship is what I give. I got to give up my seat. 
I got to deny my flesh. I got to die to myself. If you want to put lordship in, in, in one word, it's this surrender. And what's happened in the church, if we can just get real honest, is we don't preach surrender anymore. We preach comfort. We preach God always rescuing us from ourself. There is a, you cannot have the gospel without surrender. And, and you can't have salvation without surrender. You know what surrender means? Surrender simply means I'm no longer in control. I get up out of the seat because it doesn't belong to me. I heard a, a very, very, very prominent preacher. If I said his name, you would all know it. He said this during the pandemic. He's talking about the church and the world and the church and the world and the church and the world. And this is what he said. He says, what the world needs is to see a committed church. And when I heard it, I was like, amen. And then the Holy Spirit spoke to me. He's like, that's not what the world needs. Because we've been preaching a committed church instead of a surrendered church. And so we've been telling people, make a commitment, make a commitment, make a commitment, be a committed Christian, commit to Sunday school, commit to services, commit to prayer, commit to the fast. But here's the problem. You can make a commitment and still not surrender. You, you can make a commitment and still be in control. What the world needs to see is not a committed church. What the world needs to see is a surrender church. Get up out of the seat. And maybe if we got out of the seat and put Jesus back where he belonged, the world would see him. Well, why can't the world see Jesus? Because you're sitting in the seat. Okay, I know I'm preaching hard. I'll move on. Number two, a table. A table. The fast is over today. I declare we're going to eat some meat. <laughs> you're you're going to go home today and at some point today, tomorrow, I don't know when, uh, you're going to sit at a table. And you're going to eat. In Louisiana, we consume calories. Mm. You're going to eat a meal. You, you know what I know is, Pastor Jacob, about people in Louisiana? We don't eat alone. I mean, the more the merrier. I mean, in South Louisiana, we say, y'all come over. We got some stuff cooking. Y'all just, like, you ain't, I don't need an RSVP. I don't need to send out an invitation. Just, what y'all doing? We got something cooking. Y'all coming? Why? Because in South Louisiana, it's not just about the meal. It's about the people you eat it with. Do you know what the table represents? It, it, it's a place of feeding, but it's also a place of fellowship and communion. That's how Jesus operated. At, at the Last Supper, he says, he breaks the bread. Everybody say bread. Do you know what bread is? Bread is a representation of his word. He is the bread of life, but it's what we're supposed to consume. And he, and he has all these men with him. And the Bible says they're reclining at the table. They're, they're leaning in. It's this place of intimacy. He says, I am the bread of life. I'm going to be broken for you. And I just want you to get this picture of, of what Jesus offers. The, 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 the table is a representation of feasting on the word of God. Jesus said it this way. It is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Later, he would say it this way. He says, give us this day our daily bread. Now, I know I'm about to make some of y'all mad. I was told these are fighting words here in New Iberia. But I'm going to go ahead and say it anyway, because, listen, I know we got some great, great mamas in the house that can cook. Come on, if your mama can cook, just give me a yeah, yeah. Yeah. I know your mama can cook, but y'all listen to me. Uh, nobody cooks fried chicken like my mama. It's true. I mean, my mama's fried chicken will jump out of your mouth, slap your mama, then jump back in my mouth. I mean, it's just, <laughs> y'all, it's good. 
I mean, like that seasoning, like it's the perfect combination of like crisp on the skin, but moisture in the meat. Y'all know what I'm talking about? It ain't soggy. It ain't like church, you know, it ain't like cafeteria chicken where you just pull the, no, no, no. This skin just kind of breaks off in your mouth. And then the juices from the chicken. Oh my God. Can we just stop right now and eat? And so when my mama cooks chicken, I will leave vacation and drive home just to have some chicken. Like, is that good? It's good chicken. But here's what I noticed. Every once in a while, we won't eat all the chicken, and there'll be leftover chicken. And here's what I noticed, because chicken tastes different on a Sunday than when you reheat it in a microwave on a Wednesday. That's good preaching. The moral of the story is <laughs> eat all the chicken today. Don't, don't let it. But, but sometimes we'll have leftover chickens. You say, you want me to heat you up some chicken? I'm like, yeah, heat me up some chicken. And it comes out of the microwave, Pastor Sean, and it's steam, smell. But when it hits my mouth, it doesn't taste the same way on Wednesday as when it came out of that skillet on a Sunday. Listen to me. It's not that mama needs a new recipe. It's that she just needs a fresh batch of what's always been good. My fear in the church is that we keep trying to engineer our way into new things. Oh, if we do this, if we have this look, if we do this, if we do this. Listen to me. We don't need a new recipe. We just need the original recipe and a fresh batch every single day. You got to wake up on Sunday and Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and say, God, give me some fresh bread, some fresh meat. I need some manna from heaven for today. I'm trying. <laughs> Why? Listen to me. Write this down. Because our destiny is determined by our diet. We are what we eat. And if all we do is consume the world on Monday through Saturday and get the word on Sunday, then let me tell you something. You're going to look a whole lot more like the world than you do the word. We got to consume the word daily. I know you love our church. I know you love coming here. You can come here all you want here. Great message after great message. Listen to great worship after great worship. But if you don't open up your Bible daily. Read it daily. Apply it daily. You're going to fall flat on your face from carb overload. We have to feed on it. It's what nourishes me. And I'm looking at the American church and we're so malnourished. And what we've done is we've, we've made preachers the mama bird. Feed me. Here you go. Here's a little worm for you. Let me make sure all my illustrations are good so it doesn't hurt going down. Are you okay? Are you okay? You gotta feed yourself every day. There's this restaurant, man, I love going to, Pastor Don. I take my wife, like on special occasions. It's in Baton Rouge, it's a steakhouse. We can't afford it very often. It's like one of those once a year type deals. And uh, they do, y'all. I got to just tell you. Because we, we, we all stop fasting today, right? Nobody's like, keep, if you keep going, you're like really spiritual. All right. <laughs> they do this molten lava cake. I mean, you just like, 
cut the cake with a fork, and it's like Mount Vesuvius of chocolate everywhere. I mean, cookie, homemade whipped cream, ice cream. I mean, it's crazy, okay? No calories in it whatsoever. It's just straight from heaven. But we go there. We go, we go there for the, for, the, for the steak and the molten lava cake. But they trick you because you get there and you sit at the table and they bring out this loaf of bread. Michael, this thing is like this big. Loaf of bread. It's amazing. It's really only about that big. And, 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 and it's like hot and moist. And like you just touch it with a knife and it's perfectly sliced. And they give you this butter with it champagne-infused butter. I don't know what champagne-infused butter is. All I know is when, when I start out, because it's a nice restaurant, I'll start eating it real proper. You know when you eat it real proper, like you grab it with the, the nice napkin, the nice, you know, you take it off your lap and you hold it, and you got the little, they give you the little cut knife, and then they give you, like, the little butter uh, fork as well. And so, you know, I'm, I'm, like, really proper because it's a nice restaurant. But my wife, she's gluten-free. She don't, she don't eat bread, but me, I'm full of gluten. So I'm like... I'll start out because it's nice and proper, and I'm like, oh, this is so delicate, and it's so nice, and ooh, the aroma. Y'all, after one bite, I just pick up the whole loaf, and I'm like, I mean, it's amazing. She's like, please stop. You're embarrassing me. I'm like, girl, it's good. You need some gluten in your life. You wouldn't be so angry if you ate gluten. I mean, this gluten is amazing. And I'll eat the whole loaf. And it never fails. She, she tells me every time. She says, if you keep filling up on bread you won't have room for anything else. Oh, you didn't hear me. If you keep filling up on bread, you won't have room for anything else. Balcony, did y'all hear me? I said, if you keep filling up on the word of God, you won't have room for anything else. If you keep filling up on the bread of life, you won't have room for all the negativity and the drama and the silliness on social media. If you fill up on Jesus, you won't have room for anything else. Number three, number three. So we got a bed. We got a table. Sounds like a dorm room right now. Okay. We need a lamp. A lamp. Isaac, help me out. I'm closing. How many know that lighting is the key to everything? You need the right lighting. When putting together her design, the woman from Shunem says, not only do we need a table and a bed, we need a lampstand. The word lampstand is is the word menorah in the the Old Testament. It's a a candlestick. And here's what it does. The menorah always stood for the illuminating presence of the Holy Spirit. It doesn't matter how good you decorate your room. If you don't have the illuminating presence of the Holy Spirit in your life, you will fall short. The illuminating presence of the Holy Spirit. No room is complete without the proper lighting. You can accessorize your life with everything in the world, but without the Holy Spirit, you will live in the dark. We need the Holy Spirit back in the church. She says, if we're going to do this thing right, If we're going to do this thing right, we got to set the mood. And there's only one dude who can set the mood. That's the Holy Spirit. We need to learn how to host the Holy Spirit. Why? Because our lives aren't complete unless we make room for the Holy Spirit. Your marriages are not complete unless we make room for the Holy Spirit. Church is not complete unless we make room for the Holy Spirit. I'll tell you what we need in 2021 is we need an outpouring of the Holy Spirit in our lives. 
We need the fire of God in our hearts again. We need to learn how to host the Holy Spirit. Listen to me. It's not kooky and it's not weird. When you host something, you're gentle with it. Aren't you? Y'all remember the old uh, Motel 6 commercials? What was his name? Tom Bodet. I'm Tom Bodet with Motel 6. We'll leave the light on for you. You know what a good host does? Make sure the lamp's on. Let's make sure the lamp's on. Let's make sure the light's on. We just need to learn how to host the Holy Spirit. What does that even mean? There's a story in Genesis chapter 8. It's the story of, of, of Noah. Y'all know the story of Noah and the boat, right? He built the ark. A flood came. He's, he's out on the water for a long, long, long time. And he's trying to see if the water's receded. Y'all remember this? Remember what he does to figure out if the water's receded? He opens the window of the ark and he lets a dove out. Y'all remember this? Do you know what a dove represents throughout Scripture? The dove always represents the Holy Spirit. So he lets the dove out, and, and if the dove finds land or a place to roost, it will not return. So he lets the dove out. The dove flies around and can't find any land. So I think this dove has a conversation in his head and says, you know what? I got to find someone to host me. That Noah did an amazing job. I'm going to go back to him. So the dove flies back to Noah. Noah opens the window of the ark and the dove flies back in. If you read Genesis 8, chapter 9, it says this. Then he, talking about Noah, put forth his hand and took her and pulled her in back into the ark. You know what I think? I think the Holy Spirit is looking for a group of people that says, we will open up the windows of our lives. We need you in here. We're extending our hand. We can't do life without you. Would you come and just make your residence with us? Don't fly over us. Don't find another spot to land. You got to watch out for the Holy Spirit. When you host the Holy Spirit, he'll do all kinds of things. He'll bless you. He'll blister you too. What do you mean? When's the last time we've been convicted by the Holy Spirit? When's the last time that we've grieved over sin in our lives? When's, when's the last time that we just fell on our face and cried out? We need the presence of God. We need the Holy Spirit in our church. And finally, I'm closing with this. So they got a table, a chair, a lamp, and then finally, a bed. You got a good bed at your house? I do. It took, it took me a while to find the